0: You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Michael Verschlaus the CEO at Extensify.
1: Like your buyers are not always the users of your platform. So you gotta make sure that you emphasize on the fact that you loop in one or two users prior to an actual signature so that you can note down how this
0: is gonna go down after the signature. Hello there, and welcome back to the Sassiest Podcast, and I know that many of you are dreaming about success in the land in the West, in the U.S., and Daniel, you have actually been there for about 10 years, right? Yep, almost 10 years, and uh, I was fortunate
2: enough to take uh, a SaaS company there a long, long time ago, and then I tried a second time uh, where I wasn't the main guy that flew over, but it was equally painful both times. (laughs) and but although at the end it it was good both times and sometimes i jokingly say although it's not a joke though my biggest success in the u.s my biggest win there was uh, i met this fantastic woman that's now now is my wife and you know we live in sweden we have fantastic children and so on but that explains a little bit how tricky it is to to win in business in the u.s like uh, i sometimes say it's like it's a pay-to-play market like you gotta have thick skin you gotta have a big wallet and you got to be bold and have a lot of endurance because it's tough out there so uh more power to the ones trying hats off to the ones being successful but
0: it's tricky yeah it is and i mean you uh you won the jackpot so congratulations to that uh today we are um, gonna talk about this subject it's um, in focus we're going to talk to a gentleman that has been running companies over there and uh, will share his experiences. And now he's actually helping others making the same journey. Join us and talk to Michael. Today, we are really happy to have Michael Verschlaus here as a guest in the Sassiest Podcast. So welcome, Michael.
1: Thanks, guys happy to be here
2: i can i can see on thomas expression here that he wasn't sure about the last name like you know i told him like you should go with mickey v or something did he get that right uh almost <laughs>
0: almost okay fair <laughs> enough fair <laughs>
1: enough. No, you, you, you're good thomas <laughs> what is the appropriate way of saying it uh the dutch way would be uh first that's
0: exactly what i said yeah mm. okay.
2: <laughs> from here on and for the next 30 40 minutes you're mickey v how about that and, uh, that, that works yeah do you have another nickname like do you friends call you something that we should know here and tell our audience is there is there a, like a short name for something that we could use here
1: um i'm a striker with football so i i hunt which is uh something that i do in my business uh, side of work as well so uh some call me a hunter but um no no, I don't have a specific uh, a specific nickname yet.
2: I thought for a second you would go there, like people call me Vanisteroy or something. Oh,
1: oh no, no. <laughs> but no, huh? No, uh, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm born and raised, or not born, but raised in Amsterdam. So uh, we, we would use players that would come forward out of uh,
0: our premises, Amsterdam and the greater area.
2: Not from the enemy side.
0: Nope. So for those that don't know you, um, mm. Mickey, uh, what can you tell us about uh, about yourself? Well,
1: uh just recently, since Jan 1st this year, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Expansify. Uh, and that's a company that helps other, mainly SaaS or B2B companies, to make the jump to the United States of America. Um, and at the same time, I'm building a software product that consists out of 110 steps that you can take in e-learning format, where you can qualify yourself or your sales team in order to be ready to, uh, to sell in the, into the U.S., and you have a passion about the U.S., obviously we, we know that, and, and now with your new business as well.
2: Like, Tell us what you did prior to starting this new business. What's, what's your U.S. track record here in, in history?
1: Yeah, um, well, most recently I held the position of CEO for the U.S. for a company called Incision, which was a software company in the, in the medical space. Um, started there as a head of sales and moved my way up on a ladder um, to the role of, of CEO for the U.S. specifically. And then before that, I, uh, I spent some time in San Francisco. I, uh, I worked for a company called Sentient Technologies or Sentient AI, which was a spin-off of, uh, of a group of people that also created the technology behind Apple Siri. And um, I had a good stint there for a couple of years. Uh, and before that, I, uh, yeah, I mainly worked on different sales methodologies, but... Also worked closely together with uh, with Aaron Ross on Predictable University, right, which was a online e learning platform to explain the methodology of the book called Predictable Revenue, which was written by Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Taylor.
2: Did you not run his European Academy, or, or did I get that wrong?
1: Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, um, together with Aaron and, and another Aaron from his team, we, uh, yeah, we we ran quite a quite some exercises here in Europe for companies that were keen on learning more about it. This was early days though. Uh, I think this was like uh, mid, what was it, 2015 or 2016 ish. Um, so the methodology wasn't very much known in Europe, and uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to uh, to have read the book, tried to implement it. I failed, then got some assistance and then made it happen, made made, made it work uh, a couple of times, and then I thought, ah, this is cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, over the t- over over the course of years, I uh, I've learned from various people in the U.S. and Kind of, kind of like their their way of thinking and the methodologies, and try to apply it here in Europe, but also back in the U.S. and see what stick, what didn't I threw out, and, and what, I, what what did work, I, uh, I kept in my tool of tips and tricks that I could use for myself and for other companies. Yeah, which I'm now moving towards to more than just working for myself
2: cool and and this is exactly what we're going to talk about today because just like you said it it's you know it's a new year it's new beginnings for 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 many people but for most of our audience which is you know european leaders running b2b saas companies one thing remains the same us is the wet saas dream for many not just to enter the us but to be successful but before you become successful i think what what many people struggle with is obviously how do I make it happen? How do I land the initial five customers in the us? And that's what we wanted to pick your brain and you know from a perspective here, we're not talking about the major and massive success mm-hmm. the very first steps in the us, you know winning and landing the first handful of customers. So from your perspective, you've done this journey a couple of times, you've seen many other companies do it, some more successfully than others. but what would you say in terms of preparation time like is is there anything you've seen that companies that have been more successful to land this you know the initial customers or the initial first three customers have they done anything specifically in order to identify that their offerings will land
1: well that's a very good question i guess there are a couple of different answers i can give but like some of the companies they grow customers organically like, especially the younger companies who create a lot of content on certain topics that are important for the ICP of their their product. Um, I mean, content is can go viral. Um, so I've seen a lot of companies that are very successful in SaaS that grow them organically, but by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, they specifically decide not to follow up with them un- until they think that they're ready to to hone in on that specific market because uh, it's not easy. Like just recently I spoke with a company in uh in Denbosch, which is a smaller city in in the south side of the Netherlands, and uh they had they, they won an RFP, um but then they in in the US. But then they realized that um, or they actually have been told that they can't um, become their vendor of choice because they're not registered in the US. Um and therefore they then in the end have not won the deal. Um, so by going to the U S you also need to be ready to be in the U S, which means that at some moment you would need to have an incorporation or an LLC, or at least an entity in the U S. Um, there's all kinds of things that you would need to have in place if you want to actively sell in the U S.
0: Do you have to have that? Because I mean, if you sell across Europe or other geographies, usually you don't need to set up, uh, you know, companies all over the place, but, but it's that particularly in the U S important to have a company registered there would you say
1: at some moment uh it will be yeah like if you're trialing it you don't have to okay so you don't have to be in the u.s uh, or have to travel to the u.s or have an entity if you want to get started but if if your your first initial ideation has validated and it works and you got your five customers and then want to move to the next steps then then you would need to get it in Okay. The reason for that is, uh, from procurement point of view, there's quite a few companies, uh, also from from legal point of view, that don't want um, to pay con- um, companies that are not listed in the U.S. Uh, sometimes the data can't leave the country, so you would need to have a server from AWS or another provider to be in the U.S. So all of those things um, make it very hard to to run a business effectively. Um, also, from a tax point of view, yeah, um, because if you keep getting paid from the U.S. to to Europe, then it will become a challenge at some point. Right. But um, coming back to to the first five customers, now you can actually do everything from here, and it doesn't take that much time to prepare. I'd say, like, um, if you want to do it well, which I would recommend, uh, it, it will set you back a quarter, uh, but but yeah, but not not more than that. Yeah. Um, you would have to, to to figure out, do I want to close those first five deals myself or do we want to use a, a partner network? Um, there's quite a few businesses that rely heavy on, on, on partners, but I normally like to stay in control and do it myself. Yeah. So um, for the sake of, of this podcast, everything that I'm going to be explaining is about doing it yourself as a SaaS company, not through referrals or through partners. Right. Because if you, if you nail it yourself, then... I think that's very much the basis of becoming successful, and then all the other extra avenues of of revenue will be helpful, but it will not be instrumental to the success, or it will not determine your success. You can do that yourself.
0: All right. So uh, do you have a story about how how you landed your first customer in the U.S. for a company you worked for or so? Could you? Yeah through it.
1: Yeah, so when I was working for Incision, um, we sold an e-learning platform that allowed folks who worked in hospitals to prepare themselves. So it consisted of over 600 modules that have been created in hospitals by surgeons uh, to explain to the peer-operative staff, which are nurses or, or medical assistants, surgical technologists, to how to prepare for their surgery, for their work. Um, so initially we sold the product to those who were overlooking so initially, we sold the product. We're overlooking uh, peer operative staff, so the nurses and every, everyone who's not a surgeon. Um, but we focused on, on, on C-level folks there. Whereas we, at some moment, decided to have a look at the operating room, and we identified all the different people in the operating room and looked at the challenges that they have. Um, so it turned out to be that there's quite a few people in, a, in an operating room. Um, so it's the surgeon a surgeon assistant, there's someone um, who's looking after the patient from a nursing point of view, um, sometimes when the patient goes under, like anesthetically, uh, there's someone who administers that, then there's a surgical technologist, uh, sometimes one or two students, it's quite a few people, um, but then the different or the years of experience that they have in the operating room differs. So the surgeon has the most from an academic point of view. And then it's a ladder down all the way to the surgical technologist uh, who only had uh, two years um, in college and they had to have like something in biology, but it wasn't mandatory. Um, so we looked at like, all right, who has the biggest learning need um, and who doesn't know much yet from everything that we're about to explain. So we're pretty much turning around and instead of uh, selling to surgeons and um to VPs of educations and, and, and nursing managers, we decided to to take a different route and started focusing on surgical technologists. Um and that turned out to be a golden move because they were in need, in a big need. Um and instead of hospitals we started focusing on, on educational institutes like like uh colleges where those surgical technologists would go to school. <laughs> and the difference that we made is that at some moment we found a website that was uh the the something for surgical technology, I forgot the, the exact name, but we found a curriculum of something that they were educating the students. And what we decided to do is we, we took that curriculum and we built out our program in the system following the criteria of the curriculum. So we pretty much hand-built a curriculum that with the work that we've done was very easy for us to do, yet for a lot of Americans, that was very impressive and very new uh in a different way to educating right and that made a difference because once we start selling this to the to the colleges uh well we landed the first one pretty fast actually um the college of western idaho in in boys in, in idaho okay um she started using okay. it okay and yeah. I, I gotta ask you uh, M- michael so did you
2: not do colleges in europe so was this like when you went onto the u.s and analyzed the u.s market you saw that there's an opportunity to go to colleges, but you did hospitals in Europe, is that true? That's right. Okay. Okay. So essentially you you identified a new type of customers, if you may. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we unlocked a new type of customer that um, in the end, I've I've never seen such a a good product market fit. What we built was a 100% fit with what they needed. And they needed it because of a couple of things, but um, pass rates in the US are very important. Because uh, it's pretty much the, the, the ad that you have for college, right? It's, it's your pass rate. You start with 100%, and you can only lose it. Right. And then there's two ways. There's private school and, and public school. Uh, well, you can imagine that for, for private schools, it's very important to, to have it, but So for public schools, there, there were ways for students to get financial aid. Um, so, so pretty much the, the program could sell itself if we were able to tap into the, the financial aid system. We created a barcode that through Barnes and Nobles, which is one of the uh the companies that created uh, digital books, or ebooks in this case. Um, we could be listed in the college for no money whatsoever no money whatsoever. Uh I think it's just another like a hundred bucks per student it was. Uh but it was a no brainer for, for for some colleges to start using it. And um uh, yeah, the first college they uh, they put it on uh, on a Facebook group, uh how happy they were with us and that landed 12 or 15 new leads. From those 12 to 15 new leads, we closed another seven and eight. And before we knew it in the first year, we had over 50 colleges using our technology.
0: That's cool. But you mentioned Iowa. That was the first one that sparked it, right? And how, how did you get that customer?
1: Well, uh, we pitched it online in the evening hours. Uh, we prepared to, uh, to work uh, weird shifts if you're doing it from Europe. Um, we worked from noon till 9 or 10 p.m. until we were kicked out of the building um, to cover the time difference. Uh, we have had quite a few demos um, with colleges all over the U.S. during late afternoon, evening hours. And pretty much it didn't change as much as we would sell here in Europe. I mean, we came to the table prepared. Americans love um, when, you're, when you are prepared um but i think the the very most important thing is that uh you got to have a, a positive mindset uh you got to be wired for success i think the, the difference between selling in europe and in the us and in the us everything is bigger uh and, and just different in a, in a in a way uh but you want to be representing exactly that because you, I mean, you're mirroring in sales that that's often the case but in in the us you got to do that as well you got to be very clear um you got to be very open very direct i mean we're uh, we're Dutch, yeah. At least uh, in, in in our part, we are, which is slightly different to some of the geographical, cultural uh, cultures that are available in the US. So, um, by default, it will work with some, with some less. But we decided to stay true to ourselves and and just try to stay in control about what it is that we were doing, like leading the conversation. Americans have a, a tend to, to take over uh, and take you hostage in, in, in a meeting that you set up. Mm. Uh, so you got you to gotta make sure that you're, you stay in control. Um, but I think that the, the most important things that we've done is we created a level of awareness. So we completely understood that we can't fast track people in sales, right? So people start unaware and the very next step that you would need to take them to is awareness. The first thing is problem aware. So they've gotta be aware about the problem that it is that they're facing that you're actually allowing them to help uh, them with only then you can move to solution aware and then to vendor aware That's a, there's a chronological order of things that you can't bypass uh, From there you can move them to interested and from there you can move them to evaluating once they themselves decide to go down that route with you right So what you gotta do is you gotta to have to or well, you gotta be fully aware of, of of where they are in the journey. And then you have to create a lot of content and and information for them to to provide to them to help them through the funnel yeah um so you got to be very specific and and prepared
2: yeah so i have a couple of questions for you here because i think this is probably the, the the first big lesson of the day here if i'm understanding you correctly yeah sure uh because to me it sounds like you had success in your home market or home region here in europe and eu selling to hospitals did you try selling to hospitals in the US and it didn't work out? And that's when you decided, like, let's think, you know, outside of the box and that's how you ended up with colleges. So, did you have a first attempt selling at hospitals?
1: We did. Yeah. We tried. And it didn't work out because... Well, I wouldn't rule out that it didn't work. I mean, it has worked, but marginally. Uh, we, we sold to operating rooms or those who are, are working in operating rooms. So, we, we, we tried cold calling them. Um, it's hard to get through a system. Like, emails didn't work. Uh, there's uh, patient information in hospitals available, um, so they have multiple surfers, or your emails will be uh, stuck in some kind of a surfer, uh, so it would not end up with a person who would actually, w- where he wanted it to end up. Yeah. Uh, some some IT system administrator normally responded automatically to stuff yeah. like this, <laughs> and um, to Email out of the box that 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 didn't work.
2: Yeah, and that's what I wanted to confirm here because I think I think what you're saying is really really important and so true for so many companies because you had a product market fit in Europe mm-hmm. and then you like to use your example. You think like where we're so successful selling to this ICP in this case the hospitals, we're just going to sell to the hospitals in the U.S. But just because your product market fit within one group or one ICP here doesn't mean you will have that in the US. So I think it was very clever what you did here that you took the data of the early attempts to selling there and realized that actually the low-hanging fruit for us is not the same ICP in the US as we have in Europe. We need to have a different type of target here, which is the schools. And I think sometimes people underestimate. They think that oh, we have so much success in Netherlands or in Denmark or in France, wherever their home market is. We're just going to do copy-paste and have success in US. And I, I think what you're explaining here is that it's not that you know cut and dry and clear at all times. Sometimes you have to rethink your ICP in this
1: case. Yeah, I would say all the time. Um, what you know about your customer, you can just throw it out of the window and start from scratch. I, I would actually recommend to do that. Uh, because you will end up with stuff that you could not account for, like us, but also like I'm part of a lot of groups, and I speak to a lot of CEOs from SaaS companies, and they all experience the same. It, it always goes will go slower or different than you expected. Um, so yeah, no, this this was born out of frustration, but also about uh, the the urge to find something that does work. Because cold calling to an operating room, like people are actually saving lives there. Yeah, you're yeah. not a priority at all. Yeah. Um so we found them at the events, um and through the through to colleges. And the good part was that when we um tapped into those students while they were at colleges, we could grow with them once their study had ended and they moved to the hospital. Yeah. So that way there were multiple ways to get into the hospital in the end. It's just a longer route um maybe financially less appealing but in the end more rewarding than doing it the other way around
0: so how did you work with references in the early days here um, because i mean if you come you're new to a market and uh, you know naturally your um, your prospect want to know who else are you working with uh, and you need to you need to show some proof that that you're a you know serious player in the market. Mm-hmm. Any any tips there or or any experiences from your side?
1: Yeah, I think the most important part is trust. Like people need to trust you um, before you can close any deal. So need to trust you and or your organization. So you gotta build it up fast. Um, and the very most important thing that you can do is you want to create deep knowledge about their industry and about the challenges that they're facing. So you want to be a respected um, conversation partner. Uh, so it, it all starts with that, right? Um, and then from a commercial point of view, like once you have triggered them, um, you can use a trigger for anything, right? It could be a, one, their, their most important challenge. It could be something that they're facing now or that they're moving towards to. You got to create or find an obstacle that they're having in their path to get to that point where they want to go, Right um what we've done is we wrote a lot of content about this topic Mm -hmm. um content from a marketing point of view or but also from from a sales point of view what you want to do is create as much content around it and, and coin a phrase like find something that works in that bubble where they're at that relates to you um that builds trust from a respective point of view, for, for you as a person who's talking about it, but also for your organization, because you seem legit, like you know actually something about this topic, and most of the SaaS companies actually do. Uh, but not all of them are out there creating a lot of content on this topic. Um, so once you found that trigger to talk about a certain topic and the obstacle that's holding them back from getting to success, you want to take them to the bad state of mind, so the bad state of mind is where they're experiencing this this challenge, right? Like it could be a financial pain, a strategical pain, or a personal pain. Something needs to be there that's not working well for them. And then you want to take their hand and and, and tell them, hey, guys, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and this could be done through a cold call. It could be done through through online efforts. You want to take them to a better state of mind. Um, but then there's a gap, right, between where they are right now and where they want to go. There's a, a great book called Gap Selling, Um that has been written about this specific topic. But the most important part is that there needs to be contrast before and after. And this is where in the, uh, to your point, Thomas, they want to have proof. They want to see like, all right, this guy is like talking about the right things. I have these challenges. I might believe him. Maybe not. Uh, I need proof. So at that moment you come with testimonials, customer stories of other clients that you have helped before or currently helping. Um, um, And then you take their hand towards the next step. Like I think it all comes down to making sales predictable and scalable. Um, So I'm I'm not pitching my my product, but um, (laughs) we have 110 steps created um, to help customers understand, all right, where am I right now? Uh,
0: What step? And what do I need to do in order to take them? to the next step so hopefully you're not at step one right (laughs) you want to be at the 70s 80s so so you can see the the end somewhere
2: so we should do this then michael like Mm -hmm. then you get to you get to like you know flex your flex your muscles a little bit i I think what a lot of people again in my humble opinion underestimate and it would be cool to hear your thoughts on this like yeah what are the give us the two or three main differences between a buying journey in the u.s Mm -hmm versus the buying journey in europe like what are some of the main differences that you know affect the company that is actually selling that you need to adjust to
1: so when i first started in uh selling in the us with a with another product an ai product um the first thing that struck me is that when we found an answer like all right uh we have a competitor right like here in europe uh we would get on the defensive side oh competitor um, in the U.S., it was actually rooted, and uh, people loved the fact that there was a competitor because that meant that something was going on in their business, and they actually uh, allowed a vendor to tip tap into that issue. Um, the thing that, that, that struck me the most is that in the U.S., um, we had like six or seven different cheat sheets. It was us. Versus the competitor one, versus competitor two, three, four, five, and six, and they had these boxes with uh, with check marks and red crosses, like this feature we have and they don't. And um, in the US, it, it's very common to to have a lot of competitors. I mean, yes, the market is great, but there are a lot of other providers as well. Uh, but the fact that there was so much information available was something that stood out to me because something like that we wouldn't even create here. And back in Europe, we would just like, uh, all right, bye. Or um, we'll call you back next year when your contract expires. And that's something that you would prepare for. But in the U.S., they uh, they were and are prepared. And it's very normal to uh, to have a more in-depth conversation. They're actually inviting you to have that conversation with them once that objection comes forward. But, uh, yeah, I think it's natural for for, for companies to, uh, to deal in it that way. Um, but that was one thing that stood out. I think the buying journey, like it's shifting a bit. I mean, like Back in the day, it was sales driven. Right now, it's more in towards content-driven. Uh, I think the most successful folks on LinkedIn uh, or the top voices are folks who create a lot of branding around a certain topic and are seen as a location of, of information, and a source of truth. Uh, and I think it, or it works exactly the same for companies. So regardless of uh, of, the, of Europe or, or the U.S., um, I would advocate for companies to move into that direction, also individuals. Yeah. Uh but I do see a lot of people in the US doing that already. Um and I think it started in, in, in San Francisco a little bit. Yeah. And then moved over to the to the larger cities in the US and uh well now here as well. Um so I think those are the, the most important things that, that that I see happening right now. What about, uh, this is my personal opinion. I I, I
2: spent many years there trying to learn the American way of sales. And one observation I had, and I've heard that from others as well, and it just might be that I'm completely off or wrong or the the products I sold. But Mm. U.S. compared to Europe, uh, I felt that there were more levels of decision-making in the U.S. Uh, There was a little bit more power of decision Mm. In Europe, at least in the product I sold, how
1: was that for you? I think it depends on the business that you're in. I've sold in finance, digital marketing, healthcare. Um, the more public and larger a company gets, the more decision makers there will be. Um, also, like when you look at like ARR, MR, uh, if it goes over 100k. On average, there's about 10 to 12 decision makers in the process of an approval process, um, which I think is a, a large number, but needed, apparently. Um, it depends, like, if you're a self-service, transactional, solution, consultative, or provocative. Like, uh, along those lines, there's there's going to be different threats. Uh, my personal experience is that uh, it depends also where you enter the sales process, um, like when I started entering all low level, I don't want to be disrespectful for the folks that I sold to in the past, but um, the, the students themselves, we had seven or eight steps that we would need to tackle to get to senior management. Uh, but sometimes we uh, we tried on the, the, the top of the iceberg, but then it goes equally slow because they don't know the business. They're not in it. So they need to get people into the conversation who are from the business, which is an extra Stakeholder, um, and if you haven't managed that relationship, then it's also going to take time. So down the line, I think it's uh, yeah it depends on, on on the business, but what I do know is that uh, I've sold in in Europe, um, I've sold in Germany, which historically also have a lot of stakeholders. And Americans love clarity, and they'll tell you at the end of a sales meeting what the steps are that you would need to take. So even though that there might be a couple of extra steps, um, they're pretty clear in learning out uh, the next steps that you would need to take in order to make this successful. So right. um, I think down the line, I prefer selling to the U.S. because there's always someone who will be your champion, uh, who likes your product the most. And there are normally someone uh, who are w- willing to help you build a business case together internally to see if that has a success of of getting through. And if not, then, then you both try it. But at least there's, uh, there's a good shot.
0: Yeah. Are you in B2B sales and tired of
1: wrestling with your CRM system? Feeling like it's more of a burden than support? Introducing Membrane, your sales enablement platform and CRM, where you can focus on driving results through effective behaviors. Sales enablement is not just about managing data. It's about reinforcing the right behaviors with the right people at the right time. So stop missing numbers.
0: Instead, drive revenue through proven prospecting, best-in-class pipeline management, and true account planning by visiting Membrane.com. So another question here is how to work with pricing. I mean, when you went to the U.S., you found that there is another ICP in order to get product market fit. But what about the pricing? How did you change that? And what's your thought process around that?
1: Yeah, pricing is a... Interesting topic, especially in, in in the U.S. or North America. Um, what we see is that SaaS companies specifically increase their prices for the U.S. alone uh, around the level of twenty five percent and onwards. Um, there's a logical reasoning behind it, but it's the the cost of sales. It's it's more expensive to hire American sales folks. Yeah. Also, if you're a SaaS company starting in the U.S., there's a lot of expenses that you have to make in order to start your company there. So, um, but also it's easier to get larger ticket size deals done in the U S and in Europe because there's a greater amount of companies that fall into the spectrum of companies that are willing and able to pay more. Um, and then it's, it's more accepted there, uh, to, to ask higher prices. I mean, you see it everywhere, um, from B2B to B2C. Um, so th- there's a, there's a difference. I think it's like 25 to 30% difference in SaaS in the SaaS world. Uh, in order to justify that uh, you, you know what they they haven't even asked um some will try of course to negotiate almost all of them yeah um but a no is a no and they're completely fine with that whereas here in Europe people would continue the negotiation and um start to start to question everything especially uh, some western european countries so <laughs> I won't name them specifically but uh, uh I'm from uh it, it's just more accepted in the US to just uh talk about the topic of pricing, and then once you reach consensus, uh, it, it will be uh, checkmarked, and then you're, you move on to procurement. Yeah. All right.
2: What was your take on when you landed, you know, the first customers and so on? Was there any difference in their expectation when it comes to support, hand-holding, and so on, versus your European customers, or, or,
1: or was it, like, the same? Um, often, they we, we didn't even discuss it when we first started. Um, and, and that was uh, something that we had to learn over time because in the beginning we were just too happy with the sale it was, we were the first customers and uh, the customer thought oh we have got a cool product uh, but no one actually talked about the implementation part of it um, so over time it became more and more important to talk about that during the sales process uh, because you can't like just hand it over to customer success and expect magic to happen uh, you got to be very clear in, in their expectations so Um, In the beginning, for me personally, uh, it it was a bit of a learning curve um, because also from a buying point of view, like your buyers are not always the users of your platform. Right. So you got to make sure that you emphasize on the fact that you loop in one or two users prior to an actual signature so that you can note down how this is going to go down after the signature. And I think that that's a, a very important lesson that we learned along the way. Um, that I would do differently doing it again. Uh, and I would recommend everyone to uh, to look at that process because people are just euphoric when they get budget approval, that they've been waiting for a tool for, for so long and now they finally have it and uh, there's excitement. But then um, once that has flown over, you, you, you got to get down to the nitty-gritty um, and it's easier to do that during the sales process than uh, than after
0: cool yeah and i mean there is a lot of companies uh, dreaming about uh, the wild wild west uh, and how to succeed in there uh, what would be your top 3 advice for companies that are beginning this journey
1: you can do it very cheap the exploration phase you can just do it from wherever you are you don't need to travel to the us you can you can pilot this in in 3 or 6 months depending on on the sales cycle that you have yeah so that's that's the first advice. Um, often a lot of companies start to invest in it before validating whether this works, um, and I think that might be slightly risky. Unless you know that it's going to work, um, then then do it. Um, I think the the very most important thing that you would need to do is redraft your ICP or recreate it um, and take it slow, like interview them. Like go out there and and talk to like forty or forty five potential buyers, run a survey, interview them about the topic, and and don't sell, but just learn from them, uh, learn about their challenges, learn about the the things that they want to achieve, and then once you know what their their challenges are or or where they would like to move towards, to start creating content on it on day one, just just be out there, make sure that you get content pushed out as as much as possible also don't 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 request something in return for people reading or consuming your content. Just give it to them uh, It's like watering plants right like you, it's, in the end of quarter you're not gonna shout against to your to your <laughs> plants um, <laughs> it's not gonna help them grow faster it, just give them more water and, and and better lightning maybe um just grow it and and create a community. I think uh, those communities are key. We created a community where it, it grew organically by the Educational hats that that love their products. Uh, I mean, it helped that we got drunk with them at the events, and we're we're the new kid in town, and, and we're from Europe, and that 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 helps. That's that those are differences that they haven't or things that they haven't seen that many uh, of before.
0: Maybe you should play on that a little bit. If yes. uh, if sort of you're a Dutch company or a Swedish or a Finnish, you can sort of play on that as well to be a little bit more interesting, perhaps also. Yeah. Yeah, like people are
1: wired for self betterment. Like, like what is this awesome thing that I don't know yet? Like, like tell me more. Like, yeah. And, and, like, uh, and, and someone else, like, like social peers or, or, uh, yeah, why are they using you? Like, wh- what are they doing? Uh, and then they'll they'll ask questions. But coming back to your your previous question, so get content out there, and then um, I think the most important part is uh, be bold. People are often not bold enough. They're you're not wired for success, they have a mindset of a beta uh and 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 that will bring you not as far as us being very strong and and know that you're gonna make a difference I think that that is the most important lesson for everyone like you you can learn all the sales tricks and 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 stuff but you gotta you gotta be wired for success you gotta have discipline and you gotta you have to be out there and and make the numbers. And I think the most important thing still, like that, that I personally uh, fall back on. Uh, I and mean, I'm, I'm old school, but I love cold calling. Um, and in the US, we have been very successful in cold calling after we learned how to do it. like first time the operating room it was a no- go. <laughs> uh, but then later, once we learned how it worked, I mean, if it's all about timing. There's tons of tools out there, like uh, like Connect and Cell, for example. You can load up a list of like 200 or 300 accounts, and the system will automatically dial five or six at the same time. And then once someone picks up, they'll put you through to uh, to to you, and and you can start interacting with them. So it takes away the the dialing time and the time that you lose trying to get a connect. And then it's all about like you as a person. Uh, but if you train well and if you know your, your prospect or your ICP well, then at some moment you'll know what their triggers are to, to talk to you and what the obstacles are that, that they're facing. And then you can talk to them and over time get better. Um, so the content is the, the long journey to become a respective organization. And I think within less than, than two to three years, uh, leads should float your way. But the first and second year, uh, it's going to be tough. Um, you would need to do old school sales or you need to have people that are comfortable doing so yeah, um and those need to have a a strong mindset of making a difference so ideally, you have someone who's done it before or someone who is very talented and and could learn fast um, but those are I think the recipes to um, to conquer uh start the u s market
0: all right, so to make sure to know your i c p Make loads of content and be bold because then you're rewarded uh, in the u s and work really hard don't be afraid of the phone um, yeah, that was some of it if I understand it correctly, so looking in the future for you michael uh, what's um, i mean you're launching this new company and product where are you in the let's say two
1: or three years in two or three years i'm uh Actively running a SaaS company and trying to, uh, to help more European founders to, uh, to make the jump. But instead of me guiding them through the entire process, they can guide themselves or their teams through my product and then get ready. And uh, the product will explain the 110 steps from a sales point of view, but also the mindset part and, and making sure that uh, those who are going through it become better in, in running sales.
0: So thank you Michael it's been great having you on the show thank you for sharing uh, your experiences from taking a business to the US and we are looking forward to follow your journey with your new company and your new methodology uh, helping other people's doing helping other companies also make that step so with that Michael see you around and um, good luck
1: thank you thanks for having me
0: take care now So Daniel, what's your takeaway from the episode?
2: Thomas, that's a good question. And there is one really big takeaway, but I can see in your face, you're smiling. That's probably your takeaway as well. And you always complain that I go first, yada, yada. So I'm I'm gonna hold off on this one for you. So another big thing that I think he also said is US is very competitive. It's very crowded. And don't for a second think you're doing something unique that there's not another solution to. There's at least 10 other people in companies that do what you do. And you gotta be aware of them. And over there, you gotta be able to tackle the competitive landscape in a different way compared to here. Because whether you want it or not, I know here in Europe, we never talk bad about competitors. I'm a big fan of that. We even say like, we encourage you, take a look at them. This is what we do. We always focus on ourselves and so on. But you should know, that your competition in the US, they have a battle card on you, they will try to find whatever weaknesses you have, they will try to exploit them, they will try to display them. If you don't have any weaknesses, some companies will even make them up. (laughs) (laughs) So have your battle cards ready, understand your competitive landscape and be ready to maneuver that because it's tough out there. Yeah. Thomas, did I take your one or did I save one for you?
0: No, you saved one for me, and I mean it's the one about uh, making sure that you have product fit in this new market. Uh, if you work, if your ICP that you work with on your home market is it the same in the US? And uh, Michael said, you know, get out there, talk to companies, um, and and you know make sure that you have that right before you throw a lot of money into the exercise.
2: Yep, definitely very good points. And again, all the best of success to Michael and all the best of success to all of you guys on these U.S. journeys. And speaking about international expansion, different sales uh, methods, and obviously the U.S. here, Thomas, I know we have some really good things happening here in the first and second quarter where we're going to talk more about GU expansion.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, uh, the uh, most prominent occasion is of course Sassiest in Malmö. In April 16th to 17th, it's the event of the year, so if you don't have it marked in your calendar, if you haven't got tickets yet, I suggest that you should. It's sassiest2024.com, and it's not just a lot of good sessions, there's a lot of opportunities to network both in social activities, in those one-to-one umbrella meetings, or at the party on the dance floor with a drink in your hand Um, you shouldn't miss it we hope to see you there and um, yeah yeah and if you also want to
2: hang out in one-to-one sessions or maybe say one-to-few sessions with other executives and bounce off ideas so if you are for example a CRO or VP of sales or some kind of a sales leader thinking about taking on the U.S. or going international and you want to talk to other folks like yourself, we have the executive network where you can chat with people like yourself and ask them direct questions, ask them about their experience and their learnings in all of these elements. And that has been really popular and really useful. I think it's a group of three, four hundred people now that meet regularly once a month and, and it's just continuing to keep growing. So join us there if you haven't already.
0: So with that, I think we are done for today. Uh, And also, if you uh, have any suggestions on upcoming guests or topics, you can just reach out to us at contact.sassiest.com or ping us at LinkedIn. And uh, well, we'll soon be back with another episode. So until then, stay sassy.